0: We hope you enjoy the show, as together we hear how they are making their world better. Well, one of the challenges for an effective nonprofit leader right now is getting the right information so you can make solid financial decisions to help your organization thrive. Well, to do this, you need the best accounting and donation software. Researching, learning, and maintaining software can get really costly. So let me save you some time and money. Aplos just might be the solution you're looking for. Apploss is made specifically for nonprofits to manage fund accounting, donations, and your people. So go to nonprofit.apploss.com to see how it works and get your 15-day free trial. Welcome, everybody, to the show. You know, we've got a fascinating guest for you today. Harris III is my guest, and Harris has spent the majority of his life traveling the globe as a professional illusionist, performing his unique brand of magic and storytelling for more than 2 million people on five continents. Well, after making a million dollars by 21 years old, only to go bankrupt at 22, Harris kick-started a decade-long journey to understand the stories we tell ourselves and how they drive our behavior. Armed with a really unique perspective, his career re as a storyteller whose live experiences and trainings and consulting are now sought out by some of the world's biggest brands, nonprofits, and most influential leaders. And I know that Harris has some really important insights to share with you as a leader today. I know you're going to really enjoy today's episode. Well, Harris, it's great to have you on the show today. You have a new book out called The Wonder Switch. I definitely want to dive into this book and give my listeners a sneak peek of that book, of course. But first I would love just to have you share a quick summary of your background and your work as an illusionist specifically, because I think that's where what first got you on the map, so to speak. And it's a fairly unique line of work, actually. And so I'm curious, like, how did you first get into that line of work? And what surprised you the most as you performed all over the world? Um
1: Great question. Uh, what surprised me the most? <laughs> well, it started when I was nine. I grew up in a small town in Southeast Tennessee, a uh, very small town of just a few hundred people, and my parents had minimum wage jobs. And so I had pretty low expectations for my childhood. I did a little dreaming like every other kid, but was getting bullied and picked on the playground quite a bit for not being good at much of anything. And so those dreams kind of slipped away and just kind of settled into small town, you know, status quo. And Uh, When I was nine, I was pretty obsessed with baseball. The only reason I remember that is because that year I asked for a baseball glove, and I never got it. But the only gift I remember getting that year was a box of magic tricks from my grandmother. And when I first got that magic kit, I thought it was kind of uninteresting. I I was like, this is dumb. Why did she buy me this? And a couple days go by. Out of boredom, I learned my first trick. I think it's not going to fool anybody. I think it's kind of simple. And I'm like, this isn't going to work. But out of curiosity, I march into the living room. My mom and dad were watching TV. I was like, mom and dad, gather around. Here's what grandma got me for Christmas. I put a little ball inside of a cup. I made it disappear. Their eyes lit up. They were like, whoa, that was amazing. How did you do that? And it was the first time that I remember someone else looking at me with a look of awe and wonder in response to something that I had done. And you know, Now that I've studied the neuroscience of wonder and read a book about it, now I understand that wonder is contagious. At the time, I didn't know that. All I knew was that something about that moment created a spark. It was an inciting incident. And their wonder, in response to me, their awe, it gave me permission to believe in a whole new story of possibility and start dreaming again. So their wonder reawakened mine. And as I took that and started traveling around the world, which happened pretty young, I dropped out of high school after my freshman year to go on the road full time. Some people uh, jokingly called my homeschooling degree a hotel school degree because I lived in hotels and worked out of hotels and uh, just it's do it all the time. And, yeah. But as I was touring around the world, I became increasingly aware of how easily people are tricked and deceived. And the more I sort of peeled back the layers of understanding those different principles of deception, I discovered that it wasn't because people weren't smart or really intelligent creatures as human beings. It's just most people aren't aware of these principles of psychology that make them susceptible to being led astray and tricked into believing things that just aren't true. And it took me getting tricked into believing some things that aren't true and asking how that happened to really, you know, grasp and understand those concepts.
0: What a fascinating story, you know, first of all how it started with you and your family and then uh kind of some introspection as to, you know, what really uh moves people and maybe even what tricks people. Now I understand too from your story and from your book, uh, you've had some f- Ups and downs, like you had a lot of popularity, but you also uh, had a bit of a crash of that quick fame that many people go through. You know, tell us about your story a little bit more. Like, what happened to you, and how have you changed?
1: Yeah, well, the, I'm still changing. Um, you know, there's never—I don't feel like there's just one inciting incident throughout our lives, and then we sort of change. We're like, cool, I'm—I'm I'm now like this. It's just this ongoing work of transformation. I think if we're open to wonder and the truth. Um, but you know, a lot, one, of those, one, one of those big changes was. Started making a lot of money as a teenager. I remember my parents sitting me down as a teenager at our little kitchen table and explaining that I'd made more money that, that past year. Uh, they're explaining this to me at tax time. You know, they're like, you made more money this year, six figures, than we had ever made in two years combined. So you think about a little kid growing up on a farm, a town of a few hundred people. That's just an unfathomable amount of money. And so by the time I was 21, I'd made over a million dollars doing magic shows. I'd performed in, um, you know, almost all 50 states, multiple countries around the world, and moved to Nashville. Escaped my little small town. That's the way I felt about it was that I was escaping and moving to the big city. Even though Nashville wasn't that big at the time, it's getting bigger. But moved to a wealthy suburb, built a big fancy house in one of those nice communities with the fences and gates and stuff. And filled my house up with nice stuff and parked two nice expensive cars in the driveway. And I was like, "This is it." I was told it was the American dream, and It doesn't matter how much you have if it's never enough. And really the root of that deception was that I had somewhere along the way been convinced that I was not enough. And so you know, I thought if I could just drive the right car, be seen hanging out with the right celebrities, live in the right part of town, in the right house, then I could control the perceptions of other people. They could see me the way I wanted them to see me. And if I put on a good enough show, both on stage and off stage, then I can prove that I'm enough. And so that led to making some pretty – Um, unwise decisions, was bankrupt by 22, had a few hundred thousand dollars worth of debt, not including my house and mortgage. Uh, Everything came crashing down. And that sort of forces you to take a step back and go, how did that happen? And what I realized is that the principles of deception are universal, that the same principles of psychology that I was using to trick people on stage in the context of a magic show, were the same principles that marketers use to sell things that politicians use to write speeches based on a – and really the only difference between someone that we would call a con man or a really good leader is the motivation behind the principles they're using because they're both using the same principles of psychology. It's just some use them to influence and persuade in positive ways, and some take advantage of those principles to con or deceive or misdirect or take advantage of. So that season of life, early 20s, was really – me trying to figure out what life is all about and kind of kickstart this journey back uh, towards the truth amidst all the
0: lies. You know, it's really interesting to talk about motivation. You know, this uh, podcast really is dedicated to leadership and specifically nonprofit leaders. And I think you're getting into something really important. Yeah. What motivates us as leaders? What motivates us as people? And boy, you're right. I, I think, you know, we all can uh, fall into that trap of um, maybe not always having the best motive sometimes. And sometimes we're not even aware of it uh, till after the fact or someone points it out eventually. Um, Okay, now let's get into the book a bit. Uh, There's a lot of uh, wonderful things you share in there. One of the things you argue in your book is that we're all born with an innate sense of wonder, but something somewhere along the way, the wonder of our childhood is crushed. So why do you think this happens, and how should people respond to this?
1: Yeah, in the book, I outline something called the transformation map, and on the right side of the map is an inciting incident, typically negative, Uh, On the left side of the map, there's also a positive inciting incident, so those kind of mirror each other. But that negative inciting incident happens to just about all of us. It's hard to escape having one of those, and we're all affected by it. But we as human beings are storytelling creatures. Narrative is sort of the operating system of our brain. And so we walk around all day long telling ourselves stories, trying to make sense of the world around us, trying to find relevancy in things, trying to find meaning in things. And we do this so often that not only do we walk around all day telling ourselves stories uh, to make sense of the world and our experiences in it, but even when we go to bed at night and physically sleep, our brain still stays up all night long telling ourselves more stories, even if we wake up the next morning and don't remember those stories. And so as creatures who sort of think in story, when we have an experience that is difficult to make sense of, like trauma in our childhood, when our brain goes, wait, this, this character is not supposed to behave in this way. This is not how I thought teachers or a coach or a parent or, you know, a family member was supposed to treat me. This is a difficult story to make sense of. Well, because story is – or trauma is stored in the lower third limbic system part of our brains. Essentially, it's a part that's responsible for a lot of active storytelling. Then what will happen is if that, that story isn't made sense of, then it doesn't ever move up and to the left and put in its proper place. That trauma stays – stored there, which means it's always active. And it feels like when we come in contact with something that reminds us of that, our brain freaks out, sends a signal through our nervous system going, oh no, that thing's happening again. That thing's happening again, even though it's not. And so really the work of finding a way back to wonder is less about addition and more about subtraction. And by that, I mean, it's not about going out and finding something to add to your life. Wonder is your natural state. You came into this world believing in magic Seeing possibility, you were wide awake to wonder. It's just some sort of experience that you were unable to make sense of, without being resolved. And if you can't find the meaning out of that experience, well, then if that trauma doesn't doesn't really come resolved, and it ends up crushing and robbing us of wonder. We call those wonder wounds. Um, and really, the work of wonder, the pathway back to it, is healing from that wound, so that you can restore and get back to who you were meant to be. So it's less an act of becoming and almost more of an act of unbecoming everything that you were meant
0: uh, not to be in the first place. Well, one of the challenges for an effective nonprofit leader right now is getting the right information so you can make solid financial decisions to help your organization thrive. Well, to do this, you need the best accounting and donation software researching, learning, and maintaining software can get really costly. So let me save you some time and money. Applos just might be the solution you're looking for. Aplos is made specifically for nonprofits to manage fund accounting, donations, and your people. So go to nonprofit.applos.com to see how it works and get your 15-day free trial. Hey everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also wanna make sure you knew about how to get some more great content. When you go to our website, just look at the top right section of the homepage under the words, subscribe. You can simply type in your email address and then you will be added to our monthly email update. In addition to getting great access to some superb content, you'll get the latest podcast shows right to your inbox. Now, this way you'll never miss any of the interviews or content on this show. If you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email us. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. I understand it that your goal or one of the goals of your book is to help people sort through that in order, to, I think, what you say is to turn the switch back on and to see a life of possibility, of creativity, and hope. And so I'll ask you that. you know, What gives you hope that people can actually turn the switch back on, so to speak?
1: Yeah, because we are resilient storytelling creatures and we're all obsessed with how the story ends. And I've watched it happen time and time again. We do have the power to take back the script that other people tried to write. You know, if you don't want to be intentional about the story that you want to live or lead as a leader in your organization, there are plenty of other people in the world who will gladly write that story for you. And so it's our responsibility to take agency over that story and go, Hey, wait, why did I allow this person to write the script, shove it into my hands, and go, here, this is your story. Now just live this out. Everything in the world is trying to do that. We've taken four to 5,000 messages and ads a day. That's just messages and ads alone in America. So how in the world do we take back that script? Well, again, we have to figure out how do we take that switch and turn it back on. And the act of turning the wonder switch on, that work is actually more focused on identifying the thing that turned it off. And you said something interesting earlier. You said that our motivations matter as leaders. And this is actually where I believe that they come from. Those motivations are born out of these lies that we get tricked into believing. There's really only three big lies, I think. All the other lies fall into these three kind of main categories, that we're not enough, that we don't belong, or that we can't do or have or create something that we deeply desire. And so that experience of trauma that takes place um, in our childhood or the additional experiences of trauma that take place throughout our adult lives, if we're not careful, those shape us They shape our belief systems. Those belief systems aren't rooted in the truth about the fact that we are enough, that we don't have to measure up through some sort of external standard or manage perceptions, that we are worthy of belonging, that, yes, while we are weird, as they say in Alice in Wonderland, all the best people are. So your weirdness is actually where your magic lies. We have to embrace it and that you're still worthy of belonging. And that the fact that you can't is just a lie. Uh, that you're capable of so much more than you realize. And so I think once we kind of unpack that trauma, we can identify where the lie comes from. And as we identify the lie, we can start to replace it with the truth. And then um, a positive awe state, sort of what the science supports, is that it opens us up to the truth in response to that lie. And that alone can change our motivations, and we can get back to focusing on the work that we're truly meant to do. Instead of being distracted by the motivation of being enough, fitting in, or making excuses about why we can't do something that is actually possible.
0: Well said. I really appreciate your insights on that. And, you know, every interview I've had lately, COVID always pops up because it's such a um, dominating narrative using that term, you know, in our life today. Uh, and there's no doubt that COVID has impacted us all. And for the most part, not for the better for many people. Um, and we live in a difficult and very uncertain time because we're not sure when are we going to get the vaccine? When are we going to go back to normal? Is there a new normal or is there a new normal that's really not all that normal after all? Um, so, for my listeners, you know, we've talked a lot, and again, mostly about nonprofit leadership. But as you think kind of in general, you know, sticking with your idea of stories and the story we tell ourselves and the story we tell others, what message? do you hope to convey to your readers and to my listeners about how they can look at life and themselves differently based on your experiences?
1: Yeah, I think it starts with becoming aware of those stories. And to me, that, a lot of that is anchored in the human imagination. You know, a lot of us think imagination is something that is sort of childlike. It's this thing that's active when we're, killed when we're kids. And then as we grow up, it becomes less active. And that's just not the case. I watch adults use their imagination every single day to worry and fear and be anxious about all these potential things that are going to happen in the future, even though the data or the support or evidence isn't always there uh, to show that those things actually will happen. And so I think worry is a misuse of imagination. And so I think we can use our imagination in destructive ways, or we can use it properly in productive ways to create and innovate and dream uh, more optimistic visions of the future. And so if it's not a question of if someone's imagination is active. It's just a question of how they're using it. And I think whether our imagination is productive or destructive is sort of toggled by the wonder switch. It's something that the wonder, the position of your wonder switch determines. And so if your wonder is uh, crushed, you know, that's when we start misusing our imaginations to worry and be anxious. And when the wonder switch turns back on, it gives us permission to use our imaginations in those hopeful ways. Well, again, your imagination is just a virtual reality flight simulator for the future. It's a futuristic storytelling tool. So it's always fast-forwarding in this present story that you're in to try to answer the question, what if? What happens next in this story? So think about it. You're driving down the road, or you're not driving. You're in the passenger seat, and the person driving isn't driving safely. Maybe they're tailgating or swerving around or driving too fast. Well, when your palms start getting sweaty or your heart starts beating fast and you grab the door handle because you're a little bit nervous, what's happening? Your imagination is fast-forwarding in the story, and it sees maybe the car rear-ending the person in front of you or wrecking in the ditch. And it sends that image back to your brain. Your, your brain's like, wait, I don't like this image. It sends a signal to your nervous system, and that's when your heart rate re- starts going up, right? And th- in that case, it's trying to keep you safe, right? So there's a difference between rational fear an irrational fear, and we have to learn to identify the difference. And we could spend a lot of time talking about how to do that, how to take back the control of our imagination. But at the end of the day, a really practical tip is just to pause and ask yourself when you feel that fear, when you feel your imagination being misused. to pause and ask yourself, what is the story that I'm telling myself right now? To, to literally do the work of identifying it. And once you identify it, just simply ask, is this true? Mm-hmm. And if you don't feel like you can be rational about is that story true or not, is this actually going to happen or not, sometimes that's when it's great to pull in a team member or a loved one, someone who has uh, enough wisdom, uh, an outside perspective to be able to look at that situation and go, totally understand why you're worried about that, but let's be honest. There's not a lot of evidence here to support that that's actually going to happen. Um, And even if that could happen, you don't have a lot of control over that. So it doesn't make sense to allow your imagination to be captivated by it. Instead, let's reallocate all that creative energy into innovating and responding to solving these problems in creative ways. And I think we can all do that during COVID.
0: Excellent. Yeah, well said again. And I think, yeah, that there's nothing about COVID that can stop you from doing that, right? Because it's so much just a choice internally, how you're going to live your life you know, and you've already touched on this a little bit when it comes to leadership. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, this podcast is dedicated to leaders. That's really the heart of why I started this podcast in the first place. And so, beyond what you've already mentioned, um, is there a message you have specifically for leaders? Um, you know, what about leadership needs more wonder, to use your term? And how do nonprofit leaders capture that back?
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, wonder, in its simplest terms, I think, how I define it in the book is. Is Wonder is what gives us permission to believe in a story that we have yet to see. Most human beings live their life with cynicism, which says that seeing is believing, which is what creates that attitude of like, I'll believe in that when I see it. What wonder helps us understand is that believing is actually seeing. And that might sound a little woo-woo and soft to some people, but the science backs it up. What we believe has the power to change what we see. And I don't mean that in the, like, oh, the secret... The law of attraction. If I just close my eyes and believe hard enough, it will manifest itself. It's not really what I mean. It's that oftentimes belief precedes seeing. That go back to that problem-solving situation I was talking about earlier. You know, the people who believe that a creative solution could exist to a problem are the ones who are able to go out and eventually create it and see it. It's not because that that solution already existed. It's the people who didn't believe that a solution existed. Never saw it simply because their brain didn't have permission to go explore and innovate and get creative. And so, if believing is seeing and wonder is what gives us permission to believe in the stories that we have yet to see, I think we need more bold leadership, especially in the nonprofit space, who are willing to step up and go, I know this sounds crazy and audacious, uh, and you can't see it yet, but if we believe that has the power to change what we see, and eventually this vision will become a reality. Um, and we, if we think about leadership like that, it means we need leaders that are driven by wonder, whose wonder is wide awake, who have done the work to curb their cynicism and worry and anxiety. Because at the end of the day, leaders are storytellers who simply lead people into stories and help make those stories a reality. You know, If you take Martin Luther King, for example, no one would have called him a storyteller, um, but there's a great quote from Saving Mr. Banks, where Walt Disney's character, you know, Tom Hanks, swings in at the end of the movie and says, "That's what we storytellers do. We restore order with imagination, and instill hope again and again and again." But what storytellers do is look at the world as something that's broken or in chaos, and we restore order. Well, how do we do that? With imagination, and that instills hope. So MLK, when he walked up to a microphone and said, "I have a dream," people probably were calling him an activist. Civil rights leader, maybe a reverend, public speaker, but he was playing the role of storyteller by that Disney idea. You know he was looking at the world as something that was broken. he was restoring order. <clears throat> How was he doing that with imagination the The world that he was describing was just a dream, it wasn't reality, but he had to tell stories to help people imagine that new and better world with him, and once he helped them imagine it, he did what great leaders do, great storytellers do. He extended his hand and invited them to come be a character in that new and better world. And that instilled hope. And I think that's what leaders need to do.
0: Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think particularly now with uh, the challenges of COVID to inspire people through storytelling and providing hope as a nonprofit leader specifically is so critical and so well well said. Um, Now, I have a feeling my listeners are going to really want to check out this book and get to know you a little bit more. Where can people find out more about your book and about you? Where would you send them?
1: Sure. You can learn more about me at dot 3rdcom Just Harris. I I, I like the Roman numeral three. The book is at Um It'll all eventually lead to the same place, but thewonderswitch.com has easy links for multiple options and different places to order and purchase the book, um, as well as some free resources um, to accompany it. And for those that are like, man, that I'm curious, I'm at least a little bit curious about what is that lie that's sort of crept into my um identity that's maybe driving my motivation as a leader there's a free assessment on that website um the wonderswitch.com where you can just answer a few quick questions and we kind of give you a starting point on how to identify that lie and what the next steps are to get back to an awe state um, that opens you up to the truth in response to it so it's got all these out online
0: well, fantastic. Well, thanks again, Harris. This is a, It's a fascinating book and I'm really excited to have you on the show because I think just I can tell you've had a lot of time to reflect on things and you have a lot to say. I think maybe initially uh, some of my listeners say, hey, well, he's not a nonprofit leader per se, but like your challenge to us leaders to really know our story, first of all, and then to turn around and tell good stories of hope uh, is so critical. And then to check our motivations. I still think that was a was brilliant insight about our leadership that so much of it is motivation and what is our true motivation when we're in leadership roles? So, anyway, fantastic. So, my listeners, please check it out. Harris III, the Wonder Switch, a brand new book. Thank you for taking time in your busy schedule to be on the show today, Harris.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, we're excited to have Applos as the sponsor of this nonprofit podcast. And what's unique about Applos is that they are dedicated not only to providing you with the best tools but also to offering free training from their in-house experts and CPAs. Right now, you can get access to a solid webinar on five essential financial reports for nonprofit leaders. To get access, go to nonprofit.apples.com. Hey friends, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on both iTunes and Spotify. If you're wondering how to find it, just type in the words Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast and your feedback will help expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as possible. You can also find other resources and interviews of past guests on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Again, that website is nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.